I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Good morning, Celtics fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Pod with me, your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. And we have a very special guest for you, somebody I consider a friend, definitely a friend of the podcast, arguably, not, no, in fact, unquestionably, one of the top three smartest NBA guys not with a front office right now, <laughs> Mr. Keith Smith. What's going on, Keith? Now I want to know who the other two are. <laughs> so I've got you. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> I've got fine. Bobby Marks, who was with a front office, yeah, but yeah, he's yeah. no longer with That's a front fair. office. Yeah, yeah. And then... I kind of go backwards and forwards on whether it's a top two or a top three along with uh, Nate Duncan. That That's good company, so I will take it happily. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of go back because sometimes I've seen Nate's stuff and I'm like, this is really great stuff. And then other times I disagree and I'm just like, I can't have you in a top three. So I go hey, backwards and forwards. There, there's this tweet that resurfaces. It'll come back up this week during free agency. Uh, Will will get this, Adam. You may not get this as much, but the guy compared uh, uh, Bobby Marks and I to Kornacki and King during the uh, election uh, period. He's, <laughs> like, he's like, you guys are all over all the numbers and like breaking everything down as quick as it comes in. So that was uh, one of my favorite compliments I've ever received. Hey, shout out to, uh, I'm forgetting King's first name right now, but he's a Dorchester boy. So he's a Boston yeah, guy as well. So he we is. got the connection yep. there. There it is. We'll take it. Yep. That went over my head completely. There was a United States election politics stuff. So you, you're the best person for having that gone over your yeah. head. You're winning that game. You're, you're in a better place for it, Adam. <laughs> <Yes>. Be thankful. <laughs> we have yeah. our own politics stuff that I need yeah. to I need to avoid, never mind other countries. Yeah. Politics well, now we've turned off half the audience at least. So that's, <laughs> good. that's okay. They'll come back around. We're off to a great on. start, gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> oh man. So Keith, last time we had you on, it was uh, just after the trade deadline. So there's, you know, the entire turnaround from the season was pretty much after we spoke last time. Everything was still a little bit like, oh, will they, won't they make it? So everyone, you're be- welcome. It was us who yep, sparked we, we, that for sure. <laughs> And then it went quite crazy, crazy. I miss my R there. Then it went crazy. And all of a sudden the Celtics are the best defense in the league. They're one of the best teams in the entire NBA run all the way through to the finals. You were covering this from, you know, the front office show from Celtics blog. You were still doing your thing on spot track, looking forwards. What was that like to be in a position where you could cover everything living in the now and living in the future at the same time? Cause you know, there's still like a contract, bonuses and guarantees that change like JB's changed and Horford's updates. So you were kind of in this weird equilibrium. Yeah, it's been, I was explaining this to a friend the other day. It's been a while since I feel like I've had a normal lead up to the off season because the Celtics made a deep run. The last two years were so messed up because of the, the off timing uh, due to the two pandemic impacted seasons. So it was, it, it's, 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 it's definitely odd because is, is even though, right. They've been to the East finals a few times. It, it was one more year like later of a run or, or one more round later, I should say, of a run. But that really added almost like a whole month. So it was literally like game, what, game six, 
then a week later the draft and now a week later you know we're we're getting free agency started like free agency started two weeks after game six or will have started two weeks after game six so you know so yeah that's absolutely bonkers um i don't know like uh yeah we we got through it but i mean it's shout out to the celtics blog team i think we crushed it as a group um whether it be podcasts or articles or everything i think it was the best coverage of the playoff run uh that anybody had out there i'll put it up there up against anybody else um that includes the major outlets that you know that this is you know what they do uh fully but i think our team did a great job too and it was a lot of fun um a lot of work but but that's okay right it's it's i'd rather have that you know keep, keep us busy you know let's let's do it all again next year right let's let's play deep into june once again hopefully with a better result next time yeah so let's let's stick on that for a minute because you're right keith it's been an absolute whirlwind from a media perspective from a player's perspective from a front office which whichever way you look at it the fact that we've squeezed three seasons into basically i think if you did the math out it, it would equate to like almost just under two seasons or around two seasons of actual basketball has actually been condensed three of them into two years so you know i think one of the things when i look at the celtics run that we talked about they made from the last time you were on the pod till like you said just two weeks ago when game six concluded you know, it, it, it's been such a hard-fought stretch run that I feel like fatigue really caught up with this team, as it's caught up with probably the three of us on this, from writing, podcasting, coverage, everything. It's catching up with everybody everywhere. So, of course, I think that played a massive role in, in what we saw in that, in that final series against the Warriors. But I'm curious, Keith, Keith, to get your perspective. What was your takeaway as the Celtics made this run? You know, Adam talked about it. They transformed themselves into this, you know, one of the best defenses I think a lot of us have seen in a very long time and made this run to the finals fell a bit short what were your main takeaways on on this on this run for the celtics yeah i i I fully understand and respect those who were disappointed in the outcome because i think we all were right it's we all wanted to see them win banner 18 uh but then anybody who comes back with the you know this season was a failure and all that so that's just nonsense like that's insane I mean, this team was, you know, they, they were in game six of the NBA finals and in mid January, they were under 500. So like, let's grow up. Right. I mean, it's like, just be realistic, like about where it was at. So, yeah, I mean, incredible run. I, I love the way the team came together at points. I think, um, that for for the run it was great but for the future that also tells us that there's there's stuff to build around i know today we're going to get into that there's definitely room for improvement for sure the final showed us that but i think now what's really cool it's the conversation for me has shifted from what do they need to get over the top and get to the finals to what do they need to win the finals and that's that's a different conversation. In a lot of ways, it's harder, I think, to some extent to fill that. But I, I, I think they've got the opportunities and the tools to do so. And I think you're having a different conversation if you're Brad Stevens with Wick Grousebeck and the ownership group of, hey, we were we were there. We're in game six. Like we want to get back there. We want to win it this time versus, hey, if we do this, this, and this, we think we can get to the finals. Now it's, we're, we're going to go back. Like, let's get there. And I'm not by any means saying lock it in Celtics in the finals. Cause I mean, we're, you know, miles and miles from that. But I think that changes the outlook going into uh, the next uh, little bit here into the off season versus where it had been uh, for what feels like five, six years in a row running. So the first in- initial reaction from a bunch of the fan base 
And I believe this was driven by the media more than anything. You know, the the sports radio, the first takes of the world, <clears throat> excuse me, was that Boston needed a point guard, a genuine point guard. And I've been on the same page as you for the majority of that because, as you tweeted out recently, there isn't really a pass-first point guard that's going to come in and make this team better. It's 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 essentially like a very niche type of play style these days. It's not something that's as prevalent as it was during the 90s and early noughties. So if we just ignore the fact that that kind of came out and we look at who you think would be would improve the playmaking overall like is the retire like would you be looking for a veteran guard to kind of shore up when Pritchard doesn't really fit the matchups or would you be looking for more of a point forward type guy to come off the bench and ease that pressure off Brown and Tatum or do you or are you leaning more towards hey the playmaking's there at the four and five from Horford and Rob we're just not utilizing that enough I think it's a little bit of all of it. I it's and I'm not trying to you know cop out on giving you a real answer, but I really do. I think that there are, um, I think they can run more through the bigs, and and I would like to see them do that more. Um, that involves in a commitment from guys like Tatum and Brown to be much more active off ball players. So they have to be committed to those hard cuts and those kind of things. But when we see them do those things, everything just opens up, right? The whole offense just flows and moves better. As far as playmaking at the, the point guard position, um, yeah, it's, I'll restate it just in case anybody hasn't seen it, but Marcus Smart is fine. And when people say things like they need an old school, you know, run the show point guard, no one ever attaches a name to that. That's just the statement, right? They need that guy. And then when you push them, who is that guy? And I did this actually on a radio show. And they're like, well, you know, you, you know who we're talking about. No, I don't. Like, name him. And then they're like, well, someone like Chris Paul. Chris Paul's one of one. Like, there's not a like Chris Paul. There's not seven Chris Pauls that are just sitting there available. So then you push like, all right, so Chris Paul's not on the table. So who else? When it comes down to it, and I pulled these numbers because I wanted it to make sure I was speaking from this, from an intelligence spot on this. Of the, I want to say it was the top 25 players in the league in assists per game, which that's really kind of a measure of that's the old school or on the show point guard. The ones who are point guards, only two. Chris Paul and Tyrese Halliburton, would I classify it all as not score first players? Everybody else is a score first guy who gets assists because they're also a good playmaker and has a very high usage. So, like, we got to put that out of our mind because the guys people then mention, like you hear Ricky Rubio, um, I've seen people say TJ McConnell. Those, that's all good, but those guys are backups. Those are not starter-level point guards that you're bringing in or replace Marcus Smart with. Um, one other thing I'll say, too, on this is you have to be very cautious of when you change your team, you don't want to take away from so much of what makes you special because then what happens is you end up in, in a place where unless you really offset that with what you're trying to fix – now you've you just you you've you haven't done anything. I think a great great example of this is the Knicks from a couple years ago. The Knicks went into the offseason basically saying, uh, all right, we made the playoffs, we were there, yeah, we lost to the Hawks, but we're in the playoffs. But we have to get more offense. And what they did was they downgraded how good their defense was. And when you took away from that defense, they didn't get enough offense 
to make it better. So instead what you did was you took the one down, you brought the only other one up to here and that leaves you with a record down here, right? If you're going to do one, you got to go like this, right? You got to rebalance it completely. And that's not going to happen, right? There's no reasonable player Boston can add. That's such a big upgrade offensively. That's going to change what you would lose defensively. I just don't believe it. And I'll, I'll finish with, when we talk about playmaking that's on the roster right now, I think it's the bigs doing a little bit more. I think Tatum and Brown are really starting to blossom into that, so we're going to see more and more of that out of them. Then I think between Smart, Pritchard, and let's not forget, Derek White's real position is probably an on-ball point guard, right? He's not that, That's really what he does best. I think you're pretty well covered. Yeah, if you can swipe a veteran – for for not for minimal amount. I'm not necessarily saying the minimum, but even you know, if you could get Rubio to take the taxpayer mid-level and basically say, hey, rehab, we'll see you in January when you're ready to go, fine. Like, I don't have a huge issue with that. I just think there are far bigger needs um that this team has than going and getting another point guard. I just I just don't see that one as like the glaring red light of this must be fixed. Yeah, I think I agree with you 100%, Keith, because I think when I look at the finals, and I think through for most fans, for most analysts, you're kind of an, you're looking at the Celtics offseason to one of your first points of we've been here, what else do we need to get two more wins in our season? What was missing at that point? You know, I mentioned one factor for me that I'm going to harp on all offseason is I just think fatigue. And I think part of what led into that was depth. You know, I mean, yeah. as much as we needed it to get that push to the number two seed, he may basically went about an eight, eight and a half to nine man at best rotation from what, mid-January through mid-June. And when you factor in everything else that went into all of those seasons that we talked about at the beginning of the show, factoring in, like, eventually you just kind of ran out of steam. And with that, you know, the, the mindset and the play that we have become accustomed to. Now, I want to give the Warriors proper due because they played great in the finals. They won the finals, you know, fair and square. But I do think that fatigue started to break down. You saw some of those bad habits creep back in, whether it was bad shot selection, it was just straight up missing shots because of fatigue, or it was you just didn't have the proper pieces to make the adjustments. Even a guy like Bielitsa playing eight minutes for the Warriors, that was a little bit of a bone, especially when he wasn't getting killed because he's getting some of your other guys a little bit of a break. So I think for the Celtics, when you look back at, or when you look forward, I should say, to what's available. This is where I think this is a very important offseason for what they do, obviously, with that TPE and with the mid-level exception. So let's transition to, to free agency to start. Well, and the TPE is going to end up getting mixed into this because I think both of these play off each other. If you don't go and get one of those needs that we're starting to circulate here with one of them, you kind of need to accomplish that with the other. So looking at the mid-level exception, Keith, I know that you put out a list of, of some of your, your top targets the other day. Who is one guy that, as we talk about, a guy that could really make a difference on the Celtics roster for the upcoming season? Who's someone with that? And correct me if I'm wrong here. It's about six point four million that you're. It's gonna be a little bit higher based off the new uh, tax um, uh, or new salary cap. Yeah, and that was so another that question. Be about six point five now. Okay, so it's about six point five million they're working with. Who do you think is is are either one or some of the ideal fits that the Celtics could or should be targeting? Yeah, my number one guy is TJ Warren. Um, for for that, I it's now if everything were normal, TJ Warren wouldn't even be remotely gettable for the taxpayer mid level of six point five million. It just he he's too good for that. But he's basically coming off two missed seasons in a row. He didn't play at all last season, and the season before he only played in four games, and then he was out. So um, 
I think, though, if you look at TJ Warren's game, provided he's healthy, right? And you, before you're even going to sign a player, you're going to want to do a medical check and all that stuff. Uh, but word was he was ready to play at the end of last season. So we'll, we'll take it, right? We're going to say, for our purposes here, from what we know, he's ready to go. So I think TJ Warren comes in. He's an ideal backup 3-4. Uh, in lineups where you want to play maybe a little bigger, um, you know, you could play or like bigger on the wing, I should say. You could play Tatum, him, and Brown all together at, at times. Um, I think you could, he, none, none of them can really play five, but that's okay. You, you know, you're not going to go that small anyway. Like that's, there's small ball and then there's ridiculous. Like that, that to me would be ridiculous. That's a, hey, we're down by 15 with, four minutes to go and we're going to try to rally a group versus a you know true small ball closing group. But I, I just think TJ Warren would be, would be a great fit because my probably biggest goal for the Celtics coming into this next season is I want Tatum and Brown down around 33 minutes per game in the regular season, ideally. Um, and I, I get, he may pushed and pushed and pushed, but yeah, that's what you have to do when you're under 500 in January, if you want to have a good season. Um, and that's why their minutes were so crazy. And then in the playoffs, they didn't have that guy. As you said, you know, the Warriors did, they had those guys you could throw out there for just a handful of minutes here and there just to get by. So I think the Celtics can, um, can, can, uh, can, can get by, you know, with, with a guy or not get by, but I think be very successful with, with a guy like um, TJ Warren. I think that would be huge um, for them. So uh, I really can. There's a whole uh, couple other guys. I'll give you just similar ish in, in uh, positionally um, Nick Batum sounds like he's probably going back to the Clippers, but let's, let's see. Uh, Boston was mentioned. I think Kyle Anderson challenge with Kyle Anderson. He's not really a very good shooter. Um, so that's kind of tricky. Um, and that was Brad Stevens, you know, did say shooting and scoring are two things that are going to upgrade. Otto Porter Jr., we just saw what he can do. Um, and then the rest of the guys I'd be looking at are either more true bigs or um, uh, more 2-3 uh, type players versus 3-4 um, players. One of the things that I've kind of came away from this playoff run with, and I tweeted about this earlier today, was... I don't believe, I think Daniel Tice was a great pickup at the time because you had to, like, you needed that backup big man. But I don't think that he fits the way Udoka wants his his team to play. You know, that very physical, very bully ball, very, whereas Daniel Tice is much more of a, a nuanced pick and roll player, the pick and pops, the seals, the way he can flow into secondary screens after setting the initial screen and stuff. And that's not really what MA likes his big men to do. He wants them to be stretching the floor vertically more. He wants them, if they very rarely run any via, which is the type of thing you'd expect to see Toys doing. So I've come into this offseason telling myself a, a secondary rim runner, somebody to back up Rob so that the, the style of play doesn't have to change once Rob's off the floor or if he's injured. And the production kind of isn't such a stark decline on defense and offense that I came into the offseason like, hey, JaVale McGee, Mo Bamba, even, and then Isaiah Hartenstein's name started to kind of grow in prominence over the last few days, well, since you wrote it in your TPE article. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought? Um, yeah. <laughs> but those type of guys are somebody that I've got, as that's like, so you spoke about scoring wings, and I think that's a lot of people's number one priority. Mm -hmm. I've came into the offseason with my clear-cut second priority is finding a legitimate backup big 
for Rob. And that obviously in turn means finding a way to move up from Daniel Tice. But I just think having somebody that's of a similar game with a similar skill set is far more conducive to this team, both in the regular season and the postseason, because you don't have to change the way your kind of your offensive game plan doesn't need to alter. Yeah, I, I did. So those are my top two spots. Get some wing scoring, either a 3-4 or a 2-3. Uh, it's funny. I would love to say a 2-3-4, but just those guys are so few and limited. And they're, they're generally, those are the guys who make 30-plus million, and that's not happening. Um, so I, I really, yeah, then a big. And for all the reasons you said, I, 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 I want to keep Rob and Horford's minutes way down. I, I don't want Horford to play 30 minutes in a game, never mind 30 minutes <laughs> per game, right? It's, you know, let, let's keep him down in the 20 to 25 range, knowing we can step him up to 25 to 30 in the in the playoffs. Um, I, and I, I like Grant Williams plenty, and I think he should be a big, big part of the rotation next year too. But that's three guys when you really, especially in the regular season, you need four. And love Rob. <clears throat> Sorry, I get all emotional there and get choked up. Um, <laughs> it's not, I've talked a lot today, if you guys can't tell. Um, love Rob, but we know he's going to get hurt at some point, right? It's just going to happen. He's going to miss games, um, whether it's something minor that keeps him out for a week or it's something more major like what we saw at the end of this season. It's just at this point, I'm going to price it in that probably his cap is 60 to 65 games. And honestly, I don't really care as long as he's good for the last – 25 games in the postseason. That's the, the the ones I care about more, right? So um, I think what we really want to see with him is keep his minutes down. If he's feeling it, if he wakes up and he's like, yeah, I'm kind of feeling it. I don't even want to hear what the kind of feeling is. You go talk to the doctor. You're not playing tonight. You're going to sit. And that's why, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it looks like Isaiah Hartenstein might be headed to to Orlando, um, which means that's probably for far more money than Boston can offer, um, which is fine. But they, there's other guys. I had a couple um, on my MLE list. Um, Chris Boucher, um, if you believe the shooting is real from, from Chris Boucher, um, he a couple of years ago, he was really great at the rim, really good three-point shooter. Last year, he kind of stunk, so you just kind of – you know, you got to balance that and wonder um, which one he is there out of those guys. I think Nick Claxton um, could be somebody if, if you wanted to really mess around with the Nets um, and say, hey, we're going to throw him an offer sheet at the full taxpayer uh, mid-level and see where we go, um, that that you could maybe do um, and you'll get, get involved on that. So I think th- those are kind of your your options that for, for those guys. And then the good news is the – Big man, really the center position, is easily the deepest position in free agency. And there's a million guys you could pick off for the the minimum. Robin Lopez, um, you could go get you could go get uh, you know, a guy like Thomas Bryant if you wanted to go with a more offensive player there and give somebody a second chance uh, rebuilding his career. If you wanted to use the TPE to get a big, Kelly Olinick. Um, is available. I think he'd fit in wonderfully with the way the Celtics use their bigs. Mason Plumley too. I know not everybody's favorite guy in the world, but Mason Plumley can really pass, so he would fit in with that whole idea of let's run more stuff through the bigs. And I mean, yeah, was he a you know maybe a slightly below average starting center last season? Sure, but that generally means he'd be a pretty good backup center. 
And that's really what you're looking for. And I'll be completely honest. I don't hate the idea of just running it back with Daniel Tice either. I think Daniel Tice has somehow turned into this, like, this guy's garbage and shouldn't even be in the league. Yeah, he's overpaid, but it is what it is, right? I mean, there's nothing you can really do about that at this point. So I don't have a problem with you running it back with Tice. I thought Tice was really good in the early rounds of the playoffs. Well, Rob was out and in and out of the lineup. So I will defend myself, and I know this one, that wasn't aimed at me. I will defend myself. I don't think that was a shot at you, Adam Taylor. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's got, it's got so some defenses here, Adam. Fire it's back. Got what some you got? Miles to travel for me. Um, Get loud though when you do it. That's the only way it works. You gotta <laughs> yell and call me names. No, it's not my style, man. Um, now, my my defense is I still think that Tice has a role to play within the NBA. I just don't think he fits the way the Celtics run their offense with their big men. It's very much like single screen and rolls. Now they now flow into a different action. Maybe they run a Ram screen and then they flip over to do, run it, um, setting up a zoom on the weak side or whatever it may be. Toys doesn't really fit that way. He likes to screen and pop and be a release valve for the ball handler rather than being a secondary screener and then finding his own way down to the dunker spot because he's not a threat in the dunker spot. That's not his game. Which is why I do think that finding which is weird though, right? Because it used to be when he first came, he he was really good. He was never. Yeah. I mean, which it's, I, I'm not saying anything too crazy here. He wasn't Rob getting up for for lobs because nobody is, right? I I honestly think there was a point in the regular season where the idea was let's see how high we can throw it and see if Rob <laughs> comes down with it. Like it felt like it was like a game within the game. Um, but Tice used to be really good at catching you know, lobs and finishing. They weren't. You know, always the most spectacular dunk, but he was good at catching it and putting it in. I, I yeah, that game, but that, I wonder if that's just a cumulative wear and tear. He's a little older. I, I think because he's still, you know, youngish in his NBA career. We forget this guy had a whole career before mm-hmm. he came over to the NBA. So yeah, that it just that that I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Well, well I did mean to interrupt you, but <laughs> I just it is something I wonder about. Is like why what happened to to that portion of his game. No, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair to wonder. And I think, like you said, I think you can get by with Tyson. Also, he has kind of a nice contract for the sense of you want to make another move at a certain point. Sure. Like he, he's got that contract that works pretty easy that you can move in. Then you like you mentioned, Robin Lopez or somebody that you can get on a, a veteran minimum or close to it and bring them in. And so for me, I, I think the real focus it just has to be on on the wings and preferably if you're going to go with multiple wings one of them has to be a ball handling wing. and I, I think that's actually more sometimes what we need to look at than when we focus on this this figurative playmaker that doesn't exist in this Chris Paul role or whatever it might be is that we need more of that wing depth we need more of that scoring and we need them to be able to handle the ball in the perimeter and you know I look at unfortunately I think because of his injuries it doesn't make a ton of sense Joe Ingles is a guy that I think yeah. kind of checks a lot Probably. of healthy Joe which is why I think it's unfortunate I think maybe you know you kind of mentioned this uh, I think talking about Ricky Rubio that maybe Ingles is a guy that you could look to to just be a playoff guy and you try to get through the regular season without him but that would mean if you're going that route which for him would be the mid-level or I I don't know what I don't really know where he's going to fall it's kind of a weird spot that's just a wait it out and see but then you got to go get somebody 
with that TPE. And so we've already started to see a couple of guys go off the board here. KCP mm-hmm. was traded earlier today or yesterday, depending on, you know, when you're listening to this, we saw Alec Burks get moved. He's also injured right now, but would be back early in the season. So I don't think that's a huge concern. So when we look to that wing spot, and I think with the TPE, that just opens it up to more candidates. Yeah. Who's someone that, that you look at as a target for for that that kind of fits some of these different elements that, that we're throwing around here? Yeah, when I did the TPE article, I really focused on what Brad Stevens said about shooting and scoring. And I and I think I'm with you as far as ball handling. I think it's more of a secondary uh, creator type than, than necessarily somebody who's going to be, a, yeah, that's you know, hey, initiate the offense. Right? I think you've got the guys who can do that, even on the second unit. And the reality is, even if you lower their minutes, you're still probably not playing very minutes without t- very many minutes without Tatum or Brown on the floor. Ideally, right? You're going to do some pretty heavy staggering there. Um, so for me, a guy, the, the very top guy on my list, Kevin Herter. Uh, I think he would be absolutely perfect uh, for this team. He can shoot. He can pass can handle the ball. He's a better defender than people give him credit for. He looks like a mess because everybody else around him is a mess in Atlanta defensively. So there's times when it's like, man, Herter did five things right on this possession, covering for three other guys. But his guy scored because he's trying to help out these dudes who Mm -hmm. like defense is just something you do while you wait for the ball to get back in your hands. So I think it is with him. I think I think he'd be be an ideal perfect yeah. fit. I you can really see him off the bench with uh, Derek White, and um, you know really do do some do some uh, damage. I think on second units as guys who can work together. And I think if you got the right big with them too, and whether that's you know play them with Rob, some play them with Al. Um, I think those guys getting downhill, drawing the defense, and open up the bigs uh, would be big as well. So I want to follow up on. <laughs> uh, so I want to follow up on, on the Herder point for a minute because I, I think he's a name that's floated around for about the last week and a half or so, mm-hmm. and, and I do love him. I do think I think once again, kind of like Joe Angles, he's a little bit of that that I don't want to say perfect fit, but pretty close to a damn close to a perfect fit. But you know, it takes two to tango. So what yeah. in this scenario would be the Hawks incentivization? I know they, they've kind of cleared up a little bit of their, their log jam at, at the wing position with Cam Reddish. And I know they're looking to, yeah, really but they make just went right move. back into it though. Right. Cause they drafted AJ Griffin. That's so fair. Just, That's yeah. fair. So they did put yeah. themselves back there, but what do you think? So what do you think that realistically looks like though? Because Herter is a guy that does have some sort of value. And if they're rumored yeah, yeah, yeah. for a go bear, you know, he's a piece that can be in that deal to go to Utah. So that's always been the disconnect for me with getting sure. hurt or using the TPE. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. I think there's a couple things. One, it's that sense of that wing group still is crowded and they made, they've made it kind of clear, not, not necessarily publicly, but through all the reporting back channels that it's a priority to re-sign Deandre Hunter. So now you've got Hunter, you you just drafted AJ Griffin, presumably to give you some cover. If you lost somebody, you still have Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, Caught a lot of people hit me up. Why is he not on the TPE list? He doesn't fit in the TPE. And he's also coming off off-season knee surgery. And I, I was very cautious. I, I had Alec Burks on the list, but I pushed him way down further than I would have because of that that surgery. I just, you know, they've already got injury issues that they're going to be dealing with and working through early in the year. I don't want to, you know, add another guy to that um, issue. But, yeah, with Herter, I think that's a conversation where it's, all right, you've got four years under contract with this guy. Are you looking to clean up your books long-term or move a pretty sizable salary? What do you think about a first round pick? And, you know, and it, 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 
when I say a first round pick, that could be a first round pick. That could be a first round pick in Neesmith, a first round pick in Neesmith and Hauser. Like it doesn't that whatever about the players. I mean, that's, you know, it's not the nicest way to put that, but truly <laughs> it is. Um, I would even be willing to go if they were like, Hey, what about Neesmith and or a first round pick in Pritchard? Um, because then what you could do is you could say, all right, Derek, White, well, you're now more the, the true backup point guard. You're going to be on the ball a little bit more. I'd rather keep Pritchard if, if you can, because he had moments in the playoffs and I think can hold up with his shooting. But, but that, that's a guy I just think fits perfectly. Uh, for what the Celtics, you know, are looking to do because of uh, Brad Stevens' kind of stated goals of what he's looking to add to the roster. So we're talking about the different TP candidates, talk about what Brad Stevens wants on the roster. And what I've kind of spent the last few minutes doing is formulating the main rumors that are floating around. So we've you've spoken about Kevin Huerta. I know that Chris Forsberg put that out a few days back. We've gone through a few of them, but one, two of the names that Matt Moore put up, uh, I think everybody's aware of Matt Moore, especially if you're a Celtics fan, he'll like to go with you <laughs> from time to time. He does um, indeed. <laughs> so first of all, sorry, Matt Moore was the one that floated John Collins, which I, I think is, we'd be remiss not to discuss John Collins right now. But then there's also been Gallo was floated around by Jake Fisher earlier today. Um, I think Jake Fisher floated around a third one as well, if I recall, but I cannot remember who it was. Can anyone else? Did anyone else read that? I can't remember off the top of my head. I know I read the same. I read it. I don't have it pulled up. Yeah, so we got Gallo anyway. So we got Gallo, we got John Collins. uh, Oh, TJ Warren was the other one which we've hit on. That's why it wasn't. If you was to take a guess, we spoke TP, if you was to take a guess at what the return would have to be for John Collins, where, where are you kind of looking at for the Celtics giving up because in my head if if Atlanta want defense next to Trey Young then it has to be Marcus Smart as your kind of and I'm I don't know how comfortable I am there I like John Connors but as you said is he going to bring your deep your offense high enough up to offset the defense Yeah, um, let me start this by saying I'm not super rational about John Collins because he's one of my favorite players in the league. Um, <laughs> Adam, I think, knows this from Tales from Celtics blog Slack. I've been, well, hey, Adam, am I on year three going into of like the Celtics should get John Collins somehow? Um, Do you know just, earlier when I said that you wrote about <laughs> Isaiah Hartenstein and then everybody started talking about him? <laughs> three years ago, you put one tweet out about John Collins and the Celtics themselves started talking talking about him and never left that situation. yeah right because yeah i have that kind of power he's proverbially always floating around potential trade targets john just, collins i love john celtics it's, here's my thing when i first so i don't watch a ton of college basketball when i do i watch boston college i watch the eagles play i watch my school so and that means acc games and i first saw john collins play and i was like oh this guy's got a nice mid-range jump shot He's really big. He's bouncy. He's athletic. Um, he can get all, all everything he wants around the rim in the college game. And then when he went to Atlanta, I was like, I can't wait to see what this translates into in the pros. And then he started extending his range out and all those kind of things. And people look at it. And I've heard a lot of people say, you know, it's, um, it's, how do I put this? But it's been something along the lines of 
like his numbers have dropped off and those kind of things. But it's that's lacking context. His rebounding numbers have dropped off since they added Clint Capella, who was one of the best rebounding bigs. There's only so many rebounds available per game. You don't manufacture more of them. Um, you know, and Capella's going to get his fair share. And part of what Atlanta has also done is they let Collins get out and run out a little bit, you know, off of that. So, so you've got that part of it. I think the other thing you have with John Collins is, well, the scoring has also fallen off. Scoring has fallen off, but none of his percentages have. It's just the shots have gone down. As they've added more talent on that team, he doesn't get as many shots. So, and so that's, there's my disclaimer of, I love John Collins. So, I mean, I, you know, Outside of Tatum or Brown, I'm probably going to be kind of open to having more conversations than maybe the average person is. And, and I would assume way more than the Celtics are, are willing to have. But I would say that that what Adam said, and I'll, I'll repeat it, is you just got to be careful. Don't, don't cause yourself a hole somewhere by doing something else. And what I wonder is, yeah. even smart alone, that's not enough salary. So what else are we adding to that? To go get him, are we gonna have to add? I mean, you can get there by by adding Neesmith probably, and one of the minimum guys, and you're where you need to be um, on that. But I, I I do love John Collins. I just start to wonder, all right, where are we going with, with this? He he also I will say he's not a great passer, so that part doesn't necessarily fit uh, what Boston wants to do. But I do think um, you know I, I would at least have the conversation. At a bare minimum, if the Hawks kind of put the word out, hey, everybody's like, we're looking to move Collins, which clearly with the amount of smoke coming out of there, they have. So I would hope Boston made the call and said, all right, what are we talking about? If they're like, well, let's talk Jalen Brown, I would say, let's not and hang up the phone (laughs) and move on to whoever's next on my list. If they were, all right, well, well, how could we make this work? Then you have a conversation of, you know, all right, what pieces do we need to put together here? Yeah, I mean, I think John Collins is a nice player, but when it comes down to to him for Marcus Smart, that'd be a no for me, dog. Like, it it would just be one of those things where I think you're just rocking the boat a little bit too much, changing problems that that you may have. I think, you know, if we are going to talk John Collins, and this is going to hurt me to say this, it, it would probably be the only thing that I think would make sense from both a salary perspective as well as what kind of fits with the team both now and into the future would be like Al Horford. Uh, and, yeah, and, then, right and I know, I know it's my guy. <laughs> Believe me. I, I, no, I, I get out, you. I put yeah. out a picture every game, yeah. the Celtics win of Al grilling him up. Like, I believe yeah. me, Al is, is one of my favorite players, but I, no, I think but you're just right. now in future, that's the yeah. only one that I can really see making, making sense salary and, 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 and on the court. Yeah. And if Atlanta's goal is to clear up the books long-term, well, that does it, right? You have, they're basically make yeah. the same amount for the next year. And then after that, Horford's a free agent and off you go. So, um, you know, Hey, maybe it turns into do it. And then we bring out Horford back in 23, <laughs> right? And he comes back and he's the third big then and off we go and, you know, do, do the, do everything all over again. But yeah, I, I have, you know, kind of, well, send him back to where his career started, but yeah, it's, it's with the way Horford played this year. I, I, I think I just, you know, roll forward with yeah, him and see. I just feel like right now when I look at this roster, after we've we've now potentially moved on from the Kyrie and KD, whatever the hell situation's going on in Brooklyn, <laughs> maybe put that to bed for the next, you know, three days. I'm sure something else will, will pop oh, yeah. off here by the weekend. So maybe we'll rehash that conversation. But now that we've kind of moved away from any type of Kevin Durant potential, I just really, as I envision the Celtics team, I find it hard to put together a major move. I would classify John Collins as a major move. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think for me, 
it just comes down to the the TPE and the MLE and finding ways to yeah. to fill those gaps of how close you were and just really and Keith you've mentioned this here on this podcast on the other show that I host as well like you know if this team is in contention that Wick is ready to open up the checkbook and all yeah. indications are that checkbook is open they're ready to go into the you know deeper into the luxury tax they're ready to pay that bill and you look at the team that they just lost to it's because that team you know i mean granted they, they got a couple breaks along the way but when it came time to pay the piper they paid up they paid up mm-hmm. to keep that team together and put it here so i i think if they're willing to spend the money it's about using that TPE and that MLE to go and fill those spots rather than make uh, a roster altering move or a culture altering move that, that reshapes a team that was on the brink. Yeah. You finally went through a year where there was relatively good roster stability. And then you could tell with the Derek white edition, that was a targeted edition of someone who's going to enhance what we have versus try to replace everything that we're doing and, fix it all and all those kind of things. And I think that's been the single biggest change in the team building Uh, for a little while there. It felt like it was, well, let's collect talent and then we'll put it all together and talented players make it work. And there's some truth to that at times, but, and and it's funny because you hear other people like, like they throw these Olympics teams together and they make it work. Well, now in today's world, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, But when they do, that's everybody striving together for a month for a common goal, right? So it's pretty easy to sacrifice on the Olympics and say, all right, I'll come off the bench and take five shots per game. Like, cause, cause Kevin Durant is the other small forward on the team, right? Like that's, you know, but you throw an 82 game schedule together and you know, ask somebody to do that over a six month period. They're probably going to be like, come on, man. Like I can play, like let me out there. So that's the other thing too. I'm very conscious of, the last time the Celtics went into a season, I was like, man, this team is loaded. They've got so many players. The whole season went to garbage in 2019 because guess what? Good players want to play. And that becomes a huge challenge. You've got to be super careful about the way you you structure and build a roster. It's not just the town collection. So I think this offseason now is you've got the stability. Now it's about cherry picking a couple guys that really fit in. And that's why I think, they went to the finals. I think the taxpayer MLE, one, it has good spending power anyway, because there's just not a ton of cap space available this summer. But the other reason I think it has good spending power is you're going to have guys who are going to be like, I can help lift them. Like, I can be that guy. You know, that could be a TJ Warren. That could be an auto porter that says, like, I, I can, yeah, get me in there. I'll, I'll be the guy to get you over the top. Um, and that's big because I think you can be really smart about the way you put these things together. I will be insanely disappointed if july 18th rolls around and they didn't use the tpe like i i just think i think that's negligence almost is the way i would put that um that doesn't mean go do it to go get anybody right that doesn't mean go go just you know oh hey you know this guy makes 16 million dollars but stinks like that's a waste of you know money but you got to use it in a smart way and there's there's i mean I, I think my list was 25 guys long and i have no problem telling you guys when i wrote the initial draft they had 72 names on it and I was like, well, I don't even want to write this. So no one's going to want to read 72 names. And Adam knows probably better than anybody. Like I like beat myself up over those lists. Anytime I do a list rank of things, I spend a lot of time cutting names, adding names, cutting names, going back and forth, pushing guys up and down um, on the rankings. So yeah, it, it was, it was long, but that just tells you there's a whole lot of guys they can get. I think there were 257 available players that would fit inside the tp so that tells you like that's a pretty huge list 
you ought to be able to get one or a two if you split it up on really smaller contracts that can really come in and help this team. To keep in line with my movie quotes, I'm going to do a dumb Toretto movie quote here and say, and paraphrase, if you can't find the right player in this free agency market, you don't belong in a front office. <laughs> Fast and furious yeah. one. Yeah. So like you've got, you kind of touched on this uh, during that last segment and I kind of want to just push it one little step further because Marcus Smart spoke about this earlier in the week. Ime Udoka kind of alluded to it during his exit interview. Well, you know, just after the finals, Boston are coming off of the finals run. They're definitely seen as one of the contending teams coming into next season. Now, naysayers, people are going to be like, oh, well, you know, Milwaukee was hurt. Whatever. We don't care about those <laughs> ne- negative names. Every year, there's there's yeah. uh, everybody who's ever made it to the finals or won a path. is That's a, something that can be said. Yeah. What happens is, though, once you get to the finals, is all of a sudden you become a destination for ring-chasing veterans, guys that will be happy to come off the bench and take their three or four shots to build towards the greater good. And you start looking around the league. I saw, um, I was watching, again, it was Chris Forsberg, and he kind of threw out, like, you could go and get yourself a LaMarcus Aldridge for a minimum, just somebody to fill out your bench, give you a little bit of size, give you that bit more of a mid-range pop. Have you looked at any potential minimum vets that could be looking to add that championship experience you know, somebody with a couple of rings or somebody that wants a ring that could be those minimum additions instead of having such a young bench that really is, you know, beyond nine, beyond the ninth man in the rotation, it was, it was pointless that they might as well not have been in, in uniform. So that, that those vet min guys to me seemed like they could be important down the line. Have you got a list of who you think could be a potential addition there? Yeah, I have a handful of guys, and it's funny because people are like, what about this guy? Why was he not in the MLE or the TP? More more of the MLE um, article because the TP was focused on trade uh, assets and, you know, trade for a minimum player uh, generally. Um, and my that was my thought was I didn't put minimum guys on there. Um, I mentioned one already, Robin Lopez, I think is a guy who could come in and really fit uh, well here. Um you know, some people may laugh at this, but I think in some ways he'd be a really good backup for Rob because you're just going to say, go do the exact same stuff Rob does. JaVale McGee um, is somebody who could come in and play. And he's actually been pretty good for a number of years. Yeah, you're going to get a couple. You know, what's that? Yeah. McGee is the number one guy I want in free agency. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a little surprised to hear him in this conversation. I mean, I feel like he would get the MLE somewhere or maybe even a little bit more. He's yeah. a really good backup for, for Phoenix last year. I, I think what what drives a lot of that is what happens with Aiton. Um, yeah. If, if Aiton's gone, then I think Phoenix has to pay to keep him. And then I think Phoenix will just, he'll just stay there. He's already you know happy there. He's been a good solid starter when he needs to, when Aiton's been out and then a really good backup. So yeah, I just think, yo, there's a, there is a world though where he just gets squeezed because the bigs tend to be the ones who get, who get squeezed. Um, the, the position I've kind of harped on where I think maybe you add a veteran at the, the end of the bench kind of guy, kind of it's, it's, I don't want anybody to you know, shudder when I say this, but what Jeff Teague was supposed to be <laughs> right. Um, before it was, yeah. Right. Before he had to play a ton. Um, but that's what he was supposed to be was the third point guard. Right. And not, play very often and then you plug them in when you need them and there there's a bunch of those guys it's it's just kind of funny that on the opposite ends of the uh you know kind of structure of a roster um you have 
centers that are available for the minimum. Then you get a bunch of vets that are available uh, for the minimum um, or should be available for the minimum. So guys like, um, it looks like he's probably going to go to Dallas, but maybe go on Dragic if you wanted to go that way. Uh, DJ Augustine um, is another guy. Could come in, run the run a team, hit shots. Um, Raul Neto is a guy who's had you know a long successful career. I'm not going to put Rondo on there. I just think there's there's issues. Every uh, Celtics fan will bring up Rondo at yeah, any opportunity I, given. Yeah, I just <laughs> I, I don't miss. I'm also uh, you know very very notably going to leave Dennis Schroeder. Off of that list, um, I know Adam's guy. There, there's a home there. Um, Not my guy. <laughs> um, and then I think, but but a guy um, who I personally like is Frank Jackson. I think could come in and be be a guy you could bring in and kind of say, all right, hey, on the nights Pritchard's not hitting, we're going to try you. And throw him out there and you know he's not, not really a true point guard more of a shooter um at the position a small shooter if you also if you're okay with a small shooter a guy like Brent forbes could be there wayne ellington uh could be there um so th- those are the kind of guys i'm kind of looking at if you're looking to fill out the bench uh w- with a true veteran guy my thought generally tends to be they'll probably go with more of the Juwan Morgan, Malik Fitz types of guys, just because there's, you know, there's maybe a little bit of upside there. Um, I would carve out one spot at, at a minimum for Sam Hauser. Um, I don't think we're going to see, uh, I honestly think JD Davison is going to end up like a G League draft and stash guy or either, either that or on a two way. Um, I don't think Yam Madar or uh, uh, Juwan Begarine are, are coming over. Um, they, they just neither one of them seems ready to me and, and Madar not playing in summer league. Also, you know, unless he goes and tears it up for the Israeli national team, uh, that this, uh, you know, summer, I, I just don't know that he's ready either. So, so I do think there's probably room for maybe one veteran at the end of the bench uh, to take that kind of thing. And then it probably comes down to, did you sign a big or a trade for a big with the MLE or TPE? If you're a ball handler, all right, then go get the other one. You know, because you're not going to get anybody really good on the minimum on the wing. That's that's just extremely unlikely to happen. You're going to have to use the TPE or MLE to pull that off. So I, I know we're getting ready to wrap up here with you, Keith, but I want to put you on the spot here and see see what we walk away with. We both, all, all three of us here, assume the MLE and the TPE are both going to be used in, in some form or fashion. We've talked about all the potential candidates, who we like, who we think fits what role. End of the day. Who are the two names that you think end up in Celtic Green, hopefully by mid-July? I, I can't. I don't know. I, I don't know who I would. I can tell you who I want. Um, I can. I can give you that at least. Um, but who they actually will be, I have no idea. Um, I, there's a lot of. There's a lot of. I'm just asking you to guess here. Obviously, yeah, <laughs> there's no way I, to tell the way things will break. This but. is going to lean a lot more towards who I who I would like to see them get. I'd like to see them get Kevin Herter and T.J. Warren, and then sign a. a Big for the minimum to to kind of round it out um, of the vegan variety named Javale McGee. Yeah, well, yeah, I would love it to be Javale <laughs> that, McGee. That would be an I, A plus plus off season if those. Are yeah, the three I just names think we'll probably up right though. I think think that, but at my at the end, I want them to without even getting into more names, use the TPE, use the MLE, and then at some point, whether it's in the off season or down the line in the season. You can move off of Daniel Tice's contract if you need to, attach a second round pick or two, and off we go. And because it's a little insane to think they're gonna go from from ducking the tax to paying 25 million in taxes. Like that's you know, let's not get 
crazy uh, on that stuff. And then at that point, I would hope nobody would be like, oh, look, they're getting cheap. Like, well, yeah, I don't blame them for trying to, you know, save a little bit of money when you're trading your fifth string center who doesn't play. Right. So I, you know, let's, let's, let's go a little bit of a different direction, but yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's uh, if you, if you could come away with Kevin Harder and TJ Warren, you've in my mind, you've done everything you can to win the off season, you know, off we go. And, you know, from a Celtics standpoint, right. But, you know, that's, you know, it's a, there, there's been exactly twice, I think in my life, they've landed the, the free agents I wanted. Uh, and it happened in back-to-back years with Al Horford and Gordon Hayward. And uh, one of those worked out pretty good. And the other one, not so great. <laughs> hey, 50% from the field. Yeah, that's the right. front office life, baby. I will say this. <laughs> I'm happy to be wrapping up and pointing out that because we're a Celtics podcast, we didn't just waste 55 minutes talking about Jalen Brunson, and that's a win within itself. <laughs> yeah, especially this week. <laughs> Keith, man, as always, it's always a pleasure when you join us. Um, I'm always really grateful. I know everybody listening likes to tune in when you're on. They already know where to find you, but in case some of them have decided that today was the first day they ever ventured onto the internet, <laughs> do you want to let them know where you're at? Yeah, you find me at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. Uh, over the next week, it'll be a lot about free agency and the like, and then we'll do some summer league stuff. And uh, if you're interested in free agency and contracts and all that, you can find me over at Spot Track. Uh, that's where I do all that work. If you're looking for Celtics specific coverage, uh, Celtics blog, I'll have a lot of stuff as they make moves and don't make moves uh, this off season. And then uh, you can also find me on the at Front Office Show podcast. Uh, that's the Twitter account. We don't tweet from there too much. But if you look up NBA Front Office Show on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts, um, Trevor Lane and I host that. We'll be live every night uh, from now through probably the first week or so of free agency, breaking down everything that's happened, not happened, all the craziness and, and madness. We have a lot of fun over there. It's virtual insanity. These guys do great work, though. I will give you that. <laughs> and I want to give you a shout out as well, just before we wrap up, for getting uh, surpassing 100,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> you have four times as many followers on twitter than i do across all of my socials combined <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that that, that that's a ma- major accomplishment but but my mom oh, it's huge. You're an You're an it makes my mom happy so that's good <laughs> it's the does, end it goal, impress, right? does it impress your daughter yeah no she doesn't care about anything yeah mine doesn't oh. care about anything <laughs> yeah. She, yeah could care less it's never enough <laughs> every once in a while i'll get like some celebrity that she likes will interact with a tweet that she thinks is pretty cool but the rest not i'm not meant to be cool for her right it's you gotta take one of those one of those interactions keith and then blow it up put it on like a canvas or like a paint yeah put it in a frame that's what you got on the plus side you call for a hundred thousand people so the 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 trade-off is okay And you're cool to the two of us, most importantly. You're cool to the two of us. Oh, boy, that's, hey, man, now my whole day is made. (laughs) So, everybody, if you've enjoyed the show, make sure to go like and subscribe. You You know the drill by now. As I've been saying, and I keep saying I'm going to start the show with this, but I never do because my memory is terrible. Please share this yourself you don't need us to tweet you don't need us to tweet it out for you to hit the retweet it, it, i'm meant to tweet this it nobody cares if i tweet this show out if you tweet it out instead and you're like hey this show is awesome with keith and adam and will that holds way more value because you've took the time to do it and you're not meant to do it so it looks better uh everyone that does that i really appreciate it. i know a few people have sent me emails the last few days about the show i am going to get back to you tomorrow morning 
So, well, you would have, I would have got back to you by the time you've listened to this at that point. It's pointless. Anyway, have a good one. Enjoy the weekend. Keith, thank you again, buddy. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do